Happy homecoming for all of you who are here in the home. How many of you are here for homecoming this weekend? You want to raise your hand? You don't don't have to stand up or anything. Okay, good. None. All right. Welcome. (laughs) That didn't go like I thought it would. All I know is we got a lot of babies in our nursery is all I know. So, well, I hope that you survived um, winter in San Angelo on Friday. Um, (laughs) Spring is here now. I'm very excited about that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It was good. I was actually cold on Friday. We had our blanket at the stands in Central. It was good. Um, I wanted to also remind you that next Sunday we are going to have an opportunity for you to meet our new youth minister and his lovely wife and their family. Uh, We've not really had that opportunity yet. He kind of came in, hit the ground running. So next Sunday, right after church in our family center, we'll have a short reception. So just come on by and meet them because they really are lovely people, aren't they? teens none of the teens are really paying attention to me that's all right I'm, I'm used to it at home um, it's gonna be a good day I'm very excited to be here this is a this is a, a series that has been challenging me and I and I hope it's going to be challenging you as well turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15 please that's where we're going to be today we're going to refer to a couple of other scriptures but we're going to mainly rest in John 15 it's also in your app so if you want to turn your your app on it's the Bible references right there too. Um, If you remember last week we talked about what it means to be grafted into the family of God and if you remember if you haven't had a chance to see last week you can see it on our app you can just go online and watch it or listen to it Um, but Paul was talking to the Roman church and if you remember the Roman church were having some issues Uh, the Jews had been expelled and then they were coming back years later to a church they don't really remember. You know, the Gentiles had kind of gotten a little arrogant. And so Paul is talking about this idea of grafting. And it's not just another gardening metaphor. There's a reason why he said what he said. And it was a, an image they would have all been very familiar with. Um, and it's, an, it's a metaphor we're going to continue to talk about throughout the rest of this month. And I, I know you're probably thinking, great, I'm part of a, of, of a great story. And I've got a, a family with deep roots and it's a fruitful family, now what? Well, the what now, the now what is what we're going to be talking about specifically today. You know, the what nows in life oftentimes follow this, you know, achievement or or success or some sort of a promotion. You know, it's that moment when you finally get what it is you've been waiting for, the what now is usually followed by another moment whenever we say, okay, you know, I've gotten what I wanted, now what do we do? I remember whenever I was offered the chance to come here, it was an exciting moment for me. And I remember Shelly and I were just, it was just a great moment, and then it slowly hit me, okay, now what? This is a pretty big responsibility here. You know, what do I do now? I remember asking myself, what do I need to learn? What do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? How how do I get to know these people? But I remember there was a sense of responsibility that I had and then a sense of desire to be connected with you. So the what now became my focus. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is this what now. So let's pray for a moment. And and I would ask that you pray for me and pray that the Spirit would speak today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these people in this room. Thank you for the stories that have intertwined in this hour on a Sunday. 
I pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to to get to know one another, Lord, that we wouldn't just rush out of here, but that we would just linger for a little while to, to know who it is we're worshiping beside. Lots of stories in this room, but I know that you're here as well. You are present in the midst of these people, so thank you. I pray that you would help us to hear today, have, have ears to hear and have eyes to be able to see. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So John 15, let's start reading in verse 5. This is what it says. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus is saying this to his, his people here. And again, we could kind of gloss over this as some sort of a little metaphor, a gardening metaphor, but there's more to this. It's a very old and familiar uh, image from the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, just as the psalmists and the prophets used the olive tree to describe Israel, talked about that last week, they also describe Israel as being the vine or the vineyard. Usually this description is, it starts off positive, but it never really ends positive. It's not really a positive image, you know, because what it's describing is this beautiful vine or vineyard that never fully lived up to its own potential. You know, something that had so much promise and never quite lived up to it. Have you ever known anybody like that? I was doing some research this week and, and just reminding myself of some of those people who never quite lived up to their potential. First one, you know, Rafael Palmero. You know him, Texas Rangers and others after that. It didn't really matter after the Texas Rangers where he went. But he was great and awesome whenever he played for them. Apparently it was the steroids. But, you know, I remember when he was in front of the Congress wagging his finger, I did not do steroids. He did. It was kind of sad for me, you know. Oh, and Johnny Menzel. A lot of potential. A&M. See, now you're not whooping. (laughs) There you go. I heard one or two. (laughs) Talk about somebody who never really lived up to his potential. He just went to the Canadian Football League and he got banned from the Canadian Football League. These are the nicest people on the face of the earth in Canada. You got to do something to get banned from Canada. Oh, and don't even get me started on cricket. You know, Umar Akmal, I mean, remember him? I mean, you know, at the first test game, 100 bats and, and, and then after that, that horrible European tour in 2009. None of you really follow cricket, do you? <laughs> well, maybe uh, he was, he was, I uh, never really lived up to his potential. It's funny that there are people all around us like this. And sometimes we have been that person, right? Israel had everything that they could possibly have needed to be exactly who God wanted them to be. God was behind them. He had given them blessing after blessing, but they could never fully get it together. And so God tells them this through the prophets in Hosea. This is what he says in Hosea 10, 1 and 2. He says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. 
the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Jeremiah 2, 21, he says, Yet I planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? You know, Psalm 80, if you look at Psalm 80, we don't have time to read all the way through that, but that talks about this once beautiful vine that was strong, but it's now weak and it's been trampled and, and ravaged by strangers. The vine was once luxuriant, choice, and strong, but not anymore. That's barren and fruitless, existing without purpose. I mean, really, what is the purpose of a grapevine? It's only one. You can shout it out. There you go. Go grow grapes. Good job. That's its one purpose. I mean, if, if it's not bearing fruit, it's good for nothing else but firewood. I mean, what are you going to say? Oh, these floors are genuine grapevine. A little rough, but hey, my beam, oh, you see that beam is grapevine. I wouldn't stand under it, but it's beautiful. They're trying to make grapevine into, into furniture these days, but it's just, it's gnarled and it's just a little odd. Grapevine really isn't good for anything else except growing grapes. That's it. That's its one purpose. So if you think of Israel as this vine, it had one job. And that was to bear fruit. One job. So God planted it. He cared for it. He tended it. Had such promise. And it even had moments when it was, it was great and it was fruitful, but it was never consistent. In fact, it got to the point where it just failed. The vine had withered and it Year after year, this vine had been breaking away from the God who planted it. Isaiah chapter 5, it says this, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. But for Israel, it's wild grapes because for some reason, for Israel, God wasn't enough. Jeremiah 2.25 says, when, when will you stop running? When will you stop panting after other gods? But you say, Save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods and I can't stop loving them now. And you wonder why there was years and years of silence between God and his people for so long. It's not because God moved away from them. It's because they had moved away from God. They'd stopped listening. They'd moved so far, in fact, it was going to take a miracle for them to hear him at all. But they were supposed to be the vine that brought real life and blessing to the nations. But the vine of Israel had stopped bearing fruit. It had become a stump. So God decided to do something with this vine, and he chose to bring forth life where there may, where there may not have been life. Remember this, Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
You know, when Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine, what he's telling them is that he is the vine that Israel failed to be. They could not do it. So God himself came to do it for them. To be the vine they could never be. And through Jesus, the vine would be strong. Now, vineyards have had a remarkable resurgence in our culture, especially in Texas. You know, winemaking is a very old and established practice that has just made its way to Texas in the last few decades. Now, you know, you can't go anywhere in the hill country without running into a vineyard or two. Of course, Israel has always been known for its vintners and its wine. Even still today, it's Famous In the days of Jesus and before, the wines in Israel were, were known throughout the Roman world, throughout whatever was powerful back then. People would take vines from Israel, from these areas, they would pull them up and they would plant them where they, wherever they were, in Rome or wherever. I mean, think, think Napa Valley or Bordeaux in France. That's, that's the, the, the quality of vines and vintners and wines there in Israel. What was Jesus' first miracle? Turning water into wine. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Welch's. I mean, we're talking exquisite, high-quality, expensive, the kind that people, you know, can talk three hours about a sip. I don't know how they do that. They, but this, like, why did you wait to the end for all the good stuff? They knew wine back then. Everybody knew it. They knew even if you weren't a winemaker, you knew it because that's all around you. You know, so, so our culture here isn't necessarily well-versed in that whole art of winemaking. And I can't really find a metaphor in Scripture that has to do with pecans or cotton. <laughs> I'm looking for it. So we are kind of left to our own to figure out this whole idea of vineyards and, and uh, this, this, this vine image. Personally, I'm very interested in the whole vintners and their process i think it's just fascinating um, vintners have been crafting wine by grafting new vines onto healthy rootstock for centuries so this is the process if if a particular group of branches aren't really producing well or they want to just do away with a particular grape and they want to bring in a new type of grape what they'll do is they have two choices they can either dig up this whole rootstock dig it up and get rid of it and plant a new one, which will take, you know, four to six years for it to really come in to its own. Or they can just cut it off. They cut it off, and then they put new branches onto that of whatever kind of grape that they want. And I think the process of what they are doing, this is what I want to kind of focus on a little bit, because I think it speaks into what we're talking about today specifically. So let me explain this whole grafting process for a moment. Whenever the vine dresser decides to graft, he cuts off all of these vines. If you look, all those are vines um, coming, rootstock is what they call, and those vines are coming out and they just cut them off. Um, some branches that he cuts off, he keeps. Some he throws away into the fire. Some he just kind of get, gets rid of. And this process usually happens in early spring, and it, and it takes about a week or so um, after it's been cut before you start seeing sap emerge from this root. You start seeing it. They call it uh, hydraulic, whatever, hydraulics. The, the sap just kind of starts pushing up the top. Uh, in the spring is when it happens, it starts waking up. 
sap starts coming up to the top. So it gathers at the very top of this vine. And this is fascinating to me because what this is called, uh, this process is they, they have to let the wine, this, um, this, this vine weep or they let it bleed. So the vine, once it's been cut, weeps or bleeds. And once the weeping and bleeding occurs, you can graft the new onto this vine. And there's two ways to do this. One, you can just take the branches and you can just kind of, you know, cut in and stick them right into the very top of this. Um, Or what you can do is you can take some buds right where those little branches look like they would have just kind of brought forth new life. And you take those and you just kind of cut a little side and squeeze them into the actual vine itself. You connect them directly to the vine. And then once those branches are connected and they've kind of been grafted in, then you connect them tightly to the vine, very tightly. And this connection process, I think, is key when you are first grafted in. Because if there's not connection, if, if those pieces are not right together, then it's not really going to take. So with this in mind, listen to John 15, 5 through 11. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So within this grafting allegory, we hear Jesus telling us a few things. He's telling us how to produce fruit, and we're going to be talking about that fruit production next week. But he's also answering our what now question. He uses the word remain or abide in this little section about eight times from one to uh, verse 11 I think it's around 10 times I think some of you have abide in your some have remain some of you even have stay but grafts are only successful when they are connected tightly to the vine so if the what now is connection and, and if that's important then how do we stay connected So I just wanted to give you a few ways that I think these may be obvious to you, but I think every once in a while we might need just a reminder of what it looks like to stay connected to the vine. Number one, pray. Seems simple, but prayer was Jesus' main lifeline to God. It was prayer. You know, it's the exact same lifeline we have today. 
And if you notice in Matthew, this is, this is pretty interesting. In Matthew, whenever the disciples are talking to Jesus, um, out of all the healings, out of all the cool things that he said, out of all the moments that he was really, you know, addressing these Pharisees, what did the disciples want to learn? What did they ask him to learn? They said, teach us how to pray. They didn't want really to say, teach us how to heal. They didn't say, teach us how to speak, teach us how to this. They said, teach us how to pray. Because they knew prayer was connection. And they saw Jesus' connection to God, and they said, teach us how to do that. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you again, because I have to encourage myself this a lot. This is for everybody. Prayer is not the last thing you should be resorting to when you need help. Prayer is the connection you have with God. It is right there for everyone to take. Power. It's strength. It's hope. It's connection. Pray. John 17, if you want to see how Jesus prays, read John 17. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because it shows me that Jesus, with all of his power, chose to speak to God the way he encourages us to speak to God. Prayer matters, and it's the easiest and most accessible thing you can do, and I would say one of the most important ways we can connect with God. Second, spend time in the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It says, Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. It doesn't say let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Keep it to yourself. Make sure you read by yourself. Stay at home by yourself. It doesn't say that. It says one another all throughout that little passage. It's dwelling in you. He's telling us to read the scriptures together. He's telling us to dwell, set up camp, move in, sign a lease, whatever metaphor you want to use there to consider the word your home. It's where you live, it's where you breathe, it's where you eat and sleep. I think when we let the Scriptures dwell in us, then we'll find that we are connected to God and to others, specifically people in this room and who are connected to the family of God in ways we cannot explain. And this practice, I think, leads to teaching and it leads to community and learning and gratitude and connection and joy. I mean, talk about a great answer to our what now that that's life to dwell in the word number three connect to the body of christ and i would say connect to the body of christ by disconnecting from the world i'm not saying to be out of the world because even jesus didn't pray that his disciples would be taken out of the world but i would say connect to the body of christ by disconnecting from the world. And what this means, I, I think, is really is answered with some questions. What do you find yourself paying the most attention to? During the week, what do you find yourself paying the most attention to? On the weekends, where do you go when you really want to learn, when you want to grow, when you, where do you do whenever you find yourself trying to find satisfaction? Where do you go when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you're irritated? Do you spend money? Do you work harder? Do you binge on media? Do you drown yourself in sports? Because if you're going to everything else except to God and except 
to his people and accept to his word, then it might not be God you're connected to. A branch cannot be partly connected to the vine. In the same way, you cannot be kind of connected to the body of Christ. I know I've heard this, and I, I sound like a broken record, but I know people say, I love Jesus, but I, man, his church I can't handle. You can't have one without the other. As much as you don't like the people in this room, you can't have Jesus without them. As much as you don't like me, I, I'm part of the package. And I know you are too. And this is really hard in our culture because we want options. Well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that when it comes to the body of Christ and the Jesus, there's no option. You can't have one without the other. So my question is to us in this room is, are you connected? Are you barely hanging on? The gardener can do something about that. If you find yourself kind of on the ground, not really knowing where you're connected, he's got a process for that. I mean, the truth is the only way that a branch can survive is when it's connected to the vine. So if you're trying to abide or to remain in Jesus, you cannot really be abiding or remaining in anything else. Isn't that the ongoing struggle, really? So my encouragement to you is to remain, to stay, to dwell, and to abide in Christ because He is our source of life. If we try to kind of connect with life, then we aren't really connected. If a branch is barely hanging on to the vine, then it's not really connected. If a branch has decided that it's better off growing on its own, it's going to die quickly. So connect. If you've decided to follow, if you've chosen to believe the gospel, you've been grafted onto this, oh, this luxuriant, glorious vine with everything you need, not to just survive, but to thrive. But the choice requires faith, deep connection. So I'll ask again, are you connected? Are you barely hanging on? If you're barely hanging on, there's hope for you. If you're still on the ground like one of these sticks, there's hope for you. Wondering how you got there, wondering how you fell off. I know there's some of you may feel like you've never really lived up to your potential. I get that. Trust me. Decide today. God will graft you in. Just like that. Because he's ready. He's doing a thing. And this vine is growing. There's fruit. There's blessing. And there's joy. I really think that God created vines for our pleasure. I mean, grapes are good, aren't they? He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save us either, but he did. And he's made that available to you. The thing is, God doesn't want any of you to be alone. Not one single person, no matter what it is you've done. He does not want you to be alone. He's bled for you. 
He's wept for you. And now he is ready to include you. The one true vine who can give life to every single person in this room. How will you respond? We have people ready to pray with you. I'll be down here. We have elders in our parlor. If you want to just go out this door and back there, they will pray with you. Elders throughout our room. Let's all stand together and let's sing.